Good morning, church family. It is great to have you join us this morning as we now have kind of wrapping up now our Pioneer Series. I pray it's been a real encouragement to you as we're pioneering into new territory all the time. And yes, as you saw in the video of some of our announcements as we prepare for Easter weekend, that God has truly been blessing our church with uh, so many memberships. You got to hear their testimonies over this past year as well as people tuning in from all different places. We're seeing baptisms like we've never seen before. We're now watched each Sunday in over 20 states and multiple countries. In fact, it was the first time I received an email saying, you seem like a really genuine bloke. So God has used this uh, time period in our church's history to expand the gospel, where we have around 2,500 to 5,000 people engaging with us every weekend. And we wanna thank you for being a part of this ministry, not only supporting it, but the prayer support as well. And with the increase in in-person, with even uh, the timetables and time period we're still in, um, we trust that you'll pick a service that'll be a real joy in, to you as we continue, not only Pioneers, but the second part of our series after Easter. So Pioneers, I, I pray your faith has been growing as we've been walking through this series together and leveraging many different stories. And, and I'll tell you what, I've really enjoyed the biographies. I, I've never read so much for a series um, in preparation because you're preparing a sermon now as well as hearing these stories and they've been a real encouragement to me. So I, I just wonder if I could challenge you. What do, what do you think about picking out a biography to read? Uh, maybe this summer, you're sitting at a beach house or something, you know, somewhere, and, and grab a biography to read uh, of somebody you might want to know their life a little better. It might be a real inspiration to you, and we, we pray it is. So, so I have done um, men from the 1800s. We've done some modern folks. We've done ladies. We've done baseball players. We've done a lot of different pioneers. I thought, why not finish with a little girl, okay? And our little girl grew up behind the Iron Curtain in Romania. Now, now this little girl was born into a big family, okay, but a, a very impoverished family. They, they did not have many means at all. In fact, in her memoir, it got so bad that her dad, her tati, okay, he had to pray and in tears give her to an aunt and uncle just so her stomach could be fed. He was out of funds and had to actually send her off to a family. But if her tati knew what a family that he sent her to was like inside the doors, he may have thought differently. For, for our young pioneer lived in a very violent, angry, tension-filled, screaming home where she hid in her bedroom crying out to God at the ages of six and seven, feeling so scared. You know, I've dedicated each Pioneer series kind of to a different audience. I'm dedicating this one to the little kid out there who might be scared at home. I, I was working in youth ministry for years, and I would remember certain teens say, I'd rather be here than at home. Their home was not a place of safety, not a place uh, where they felt okay. In fact, things dictated whether they felt safe even in their own home. And this little girl went through such a struggle that she knew if Tati knew, he would not have sent her here. And in God's great mercy, she ended up getting back with her family. But her family went through a lot. For her, Tati knew Jesus as his savior and lived out the Christian faith, which was persecuted heavily by their, by their surrounding town people. And their family was pointed out all the time. In fact, she shares in her memoir, she remembers being in class. Kids, you might be able to understand this. She was in class and the teacher said, you have to be an idiot to follow this God of the Bible. 
And only fools would do this. And her classmates shouted out, Sylvia believes in God and her family. And the teacher went on to just pinpoint Sylvia and just attack her and attack her and attack her, a little pioneer. But her whatever, whenever, and however spirit enabled her to go home, and she records around the age of 12 or 13, any, any 12 or 13-year-old girls listening? Around the age of 12 or 13, she got on her knees and she said, God, dear God, please show me you're real. Show me you're real. Her tati believed, her mother believed, but show me you're real. I'm going to be real transparent in here. I don't know if this is allowed to get talked about in church. There's a time period in everybody's life, they're kind of sitting in a church auditorium, and they go, what if we're all getting bamboozled? They think it in their head. They don't say it out loud. It don't preach from a pulpit, but people are like, you know, what if we are just buying into a lie, okay? I can tell you right now, I wouldn't be on this stage if God didn't affirm me, because I was the most pessimistic, full of his own opinion, 20-year-old you can find. And I needed answers. And I dug in. It's one of the things that inspired me into the ministry. But there's people out there that question at times. And this little girl was kind of going through this. I know what my family believes. I got to make this faith my own. She said, God, please show me your real. So she prayed. She prayed to God for shoes. Shoes. She didn't have shoes. She wore her older brother Victor's shoes. She never knew what it was like to have a girl's shoe that fit around her ankle. She prayed for shoes. She prayed... As, as many kids do, you ever hear kid prayers, they're just so sweet and genuine and bold, and, and she prayed that, that even God would send her a pair of shoes, because she never had her own, all hand-me-downs, and she said, God, would you, would you also maybe give me a sweater and a coat too, God? You know it's cold, and I don't have a coat. God, show me you're real, and she said, amen, and get this, she, she looked under her bed, isn't that precious? Amen. Isn't that awesome? She said, she continued, dear God, dear God, I need shoes. I just love to have my own shoes. All the girls in school that I just love to have my own shoes. It would go on. You can read in the memoir how it would go on for a little bit of time period. And one day she saw Tati coming home and he had a package. He had a package. And he brought it, and now her family was big, so they would gather around if mail came for their family. And, and little Sylvia, she gathered around, and, and she saw it, and, and, and Tati put the package down on the ground, and, and, he, and he opened it up. And, and the kids gathered, like, what, it was his package for our family. And he pulled out, guys, he pulled out a pair of shoes, girl's shoes. Sylvia yelled out, they're mine! In a large family, nothing's yours. And they go, excuse me? They're mine. And they handed them to her. She, can I please try them on? She, she tries them on. Oh, is there a sweater? They look in. There is a sweater. It's mine. Her mother went, excuse me, Sylvia. This package came to our family. You'll yell out, it's mine. Can I just try it on and see if it's mine? She puts it on. Fits. A wonderful girl sweater. And of course, there's got to be a coat, right? And there was. And Sylvia got a coat. She went on to explain it to her parents and her brothers and her sisters, how she prayed to the Lord for this. And God had brought it. She went back to her bed, right where she prayed, with her shoes, with her sweater, and she went, oh, 
oh my goodness. And her faith went from already building strong to bigger than it's ever been because she realized she never told God her shoe size. She never told God her sweater size. And she never told God her jacket size. What do you think that does to a little girl's faith, a story like that? Well, it leads to a bibliography. <laughs> By Sylvia, God knows my size. God knows my size. I didn't need to tell him my shoe size. God knows my size. And this little girl turned into an incredible prayer warrior that few know about. Few know about. But she wrote this bibliography, and I got to, I got to read it. And I, I was challenged by it. There's so many stories in it. Some of them are very unnerving. But her faith just grew and grew and grew that God knows her until one day she was at work and her superintendent called her and he said, Sylvia, what have you done? What have you done? She said, what, 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 what do you mean, what have I done? The secret service are here. Are you talking about your God? Are you talking about the Bible? And she had been. She'd been teaching a, a girl's Sunday school class, and she kept teaching it. Even when she was told to not talk about the Bible, she kept going. And he said, you're going to be arrested. You need to lay low. You need to be quiet. And she was, in fact, arrested and thrown into prison for her faith. In prison, she experienced incredible torture. She explains that they brainwashed her to a point where you can't even believe, and the whole idea was forget your God. She said it got so bad, and the abuse was so bad, she, can, she talks of a time where she was cleaning up human waste with her hands in the prison. She couldn't remember Bible verses from all the brainwashing, and, and this, the, it, she said it was like this, systematic brainwashing they were doing with them. She said, it got to the point I couldn't even remember worship songs. And I would pray and I would pray. And she said, my God delivered a, in, in prayer this thought, love your enemies. She didn't want to love her enemies. She hated her guards. It was horrible there. It was terrifying there. She didn't want to hear this, but she knew that aligned with scripture. She knew that aligned with scripture. Love your enemies. How many of you have been challenging your faith in that area this year? To love your enemies? That's a faith challenge, right? It's not easy to do. And she began to treat the guards very differently. And in the obedience to something she didn't even want to do but trust in her God, she felt God leading her in prayer through the words, he restoreth my soul, he restoreth my soul. And memory verses started to come back to her head. Worship songs began to come back to her head. And in God's great mercy, she was delivered from prison. And instead of living a life of comfort and just going off and resting, Sylvia became an awesome speaker for the persecuted church and spent her final days before her death, where I got to read her obituary, of a woman. They said when she entered the room, it was like a sweet aroma came into the room, as if a flower walked into the room. A precious, precious little girl. I'll tell you what. It's one thing to pray. It's another thing to hear a little kid pray with great faith. I remember many times sitting on a bed. I mean, it's still awesome to hear teenagers and your kids when they become adults. But when they're little, I remember my youngest especially, dear Jesus God. And it's just like, oh, it's awesome. Grandpas, you want a good day? If you got a little granddaughter, set her on your lap and say, hey, sweetheart, why don't we pray together? You go first. 
Try to finish it, Grandpa, without a tear. I dare you. It's the most wonderful, pure, awesome thing. And this Sylvia, this sweet aroma to society that was bruised and battered and beaten on, had this great faith that even in prison for her faith, that God would continue to deliver because he's a delivering God. He's a rescuing God. You know, throughout all the pioneers, and I'm putting her on our pioneer wall of faith here, throughout all our pioneers we've studied, all these lives that we've looked at, I went back through and I said, I'm gonna find common characteristics. I wanna find some things that they all shared in common, something we can grow from, I want to know their secrets. I want to know what we can take from them in this series and say, what will we get out of it? And I'm telling you, before we conclude today, I'm going to share with you five things that are trending through all of their stories, including Sylvia's. It's as if they had a secret weapon that other people can't see or don't know about. And so today, I want to call our sermon Secret Weapon. Is there anybody out here who, if they're perfectly honest, feel chained to circumstances. I mean, they would love to pray like a child, but they've lived too many years. They would love to have this bold ask of God, but they've had too many unanswered prayers. They would love to go, Jesus, I need you to do this, but the 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 disease they've been battling has wiped away a lot of trust, a circumstance. They would love to cry out in prayer as Sylvia did, but the reality is, you don't know my teenager, they're never gonna change. They would love to cry out in faith, but see, you don't know the bills, you don't know the life, you don't know what we're going through, and Chris, if you did, if you knew, you would realize this is a chain that I'm gonna end up carrying to my grave. It's too big. I've tried. I mean, I've prayed about it. It's just too big. I wanna encourage you today to go back to the days when you had a childlike faith that prayed and saw chains getting removed. It's a secret weapon your pioneers had it's a secret weapon I hope we leave here today because I believe, I believe in a rescuing God. But I also have seen, and sometimes with great frustration, how few believers believe it. And they're in church. But in their adult-like faith, I don't know, we'll see. Well, chances are really not good. And I think we should be encouraged by what we're gonna see today. One of the greatest rescue stories in all scripture. And I pray we walk out of here today ready to leverage a secret weapon that I think a lot of times we leave out. Heavenly Father, use today's text to inspire us to break chains. You have given us a weapon. And that weapon has the power to break chains that no one ever could think could be broken. It takes faith, it takes prayer, it takes alignment to your will. 
And although, Lord, maybe not every temporary change, every temporal, this side of eternity chain might be broken, but we believe eternally the most important chain can be. And so, Lord, we come to you today seeking to conclude this series, if you will, with a chance to really grow our faith and to leverage a secret weapon the church has been given that I pray will change all of our lives and how we look at the most in bondage thing, person, or situation we're going through. In your name, amen. Hey, remember last week we learned when the church got the title Christian? Yeah, it was in Acts eleven twenty six. It said, this is the first time they were called Christians before they were God-fearers, right? And we saw, we saw Christianity blossom. We saw these apostles sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And Christianity's going out, and it's spreading, right? We, we, we got Peter going to Caesarea and Cornelius, and that information's getting out. Philip goes to the Ethiopian eunuch, and that spreads down into North Africa, into the Cyrene area, okay? And then up into here, we had, we had Saul go up here into Tarsus, up into Antioch, and the gospel, like a T-Mobile and Verizon map, it's just spreading everywhere, right? We even walk across the Cyrene. Remember who's from Cyprus? Guy by the name of Barnabas, right? So, so this is just spreading. The gospel is spreading, and this term Christians is coming. These Christ followers. And now, 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 remember there were Jews that were not Christians. They weren't following the way of Jesus. Sadducees, Pharisees, and those who followed the Judaizing laws. And they're all upset about this spreading. And, and it's really creating a tension in this environment as very famous people like Cornelius are coming to know Christ and it's spreading. And, and look how Herod responds today in chapter 12. It says, in the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together, they were Probably would help if I'm in Acts 12, not Luke 12. <laughs> Bang. And about that time, I'm like, where am I? <laughs> Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Yeah, there we are. Herod, okay, he starts laying violent hands on those who belonged to the church. And he killed, what? He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. You remember James? Remember our pit bull sermon? Remember, sometimes God uses the pit bulls within us. There's some of you a little rough around the edges. You kind of like a fight. Harry killed James. Let's remember this pioneer. We met him early in the season series. He, he was a man of passion. Remember, he's called one of the sons of thunder, James and John. He, he was a man of confidence. Remember Jesus? They, they came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, we, we want to walk. We, we want to be like grace. We want to sit by your side in the kingdom. And Jesus says, guys, do you even know what you're asking? Can you drink the cup, the cup of wrath, the cup of torment that I'm going to drink? James responded, yes, we can. He's a man of emotion. When, when a bunch of people were kind of being sarcastic towards the things of Jesus, he said, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them, Jesus? Because that would be awesome. No, 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 James. Just pit bulls. And God uses James of the world. That, that just, they're aggressive. I like to call these people when I need an advocate. Hey, I need somebody to help me fight this battle. I'm ready. Do I have to keep my testimony? Yes, you have to keep your, all right, all right, all right. All right. James, they're just kind of pit bulls. And, and Herod beheads him. And when Herod, that's a grip of the first, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, the Sadducees are like, yes, okay? He proceeds to arrest Peter. Oh, no, not Peter. Not, not, no, no, this was during the days of unleavened bread. Oh, 
So now we gotta go back to our map mentally and we gotta think of Jerusalem. During the days of unleavened bread, there's a feast going on and people are gathering into Jerusalem. So everybody's headed there. So we have Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. There's an eight-day festival and Jews are just piling into Jerusalem and that's where we find ourselves. And we see that he, he proceeds to arrest Peter and when he seized him, he put him in prison and he delivered him over to the four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Now, now, now I did a little research for us in Roman work in case you didn't have the time this week. These Roman soldiers, okay, what they did was they put them together in four squads. Now, these four squads were squadrons, okay, of four soldiers each. And they, and they watched him for six-hour shifts. Two soldiers, we find out later in the text, are literally chained to Peter. So you got a guy on this side and a guy on this side, and they're chained to him. And then at the door stand two other soldiers, and they rotate so they're fresh and they're ready to go. What's the deal here? It's just one guy, Herod. What happened last time the apostles were in jail in Acts? They were freed, right? They went right out to Solomon's portico and started preaching. They've got, they've got Peter locked up. Do you have an idea where? In the Antonio Fortress. Right over here on the other side of the courtyard. This is where Herod would be, right around here. The Sanhedrin would meet around here. This is the temple, right? This is the whole temple court, okay? Peter would have been locked up over here in this Antonio Fortress, and it's the time of the Passover, so this place is just packed with people, and the word is throughout the streets, all throughout Jerusalem, that, that did you hear James was beheaded, and they have Peter currently in prison, locked up? I mean, you wanna talk about hopelessness for the church? Peter. I mean, Jesus said, I will build my church on this guy. I will use this guy. I will use his message. I will use my message through him. And he is chained. But a secret weapon was occurring. What? Look, look, look what Luke says next. But earnest prayer for him was being made by God for the, by the church. Two things that are really cool here. It doesn't say by the group of believers. It doesn't say by the proselytes. It says the church, you're starting to hear the church, the church in the book of Acts. There's this transition that's being made now. It's not Jews who are now following the ways of Christ, okay? It's not Hellenistic Jews who are following the ways of Jesus Christ. It's not the uncircumcised or the circumcised. You're starting to hear the word church, the body of Christ. This is your first reference in scripture to what's called intercessory prayer. A corporate group of believers getting together to pray for something earnestly. This isn't... And forgive me, I don't mean to sound sarcastic, but this isn't, hey, we need you to pray for you. Oh yeah, I'll be praying for you. And you really probably never pray for them. This isn't that. This is a group of believers have found themselves in a home and they are together and they are earnest. The idea is fervent, passionate, begging. This is, this is the prayers of someone who believes they're about to lose somebody to death. That kind of prayer, nightly, begging, pleading, I'm not leaving anywhere. They're struggling through this. This isn't just, uh, yeah, we'll be praying for you. This is almost a strategic event going on in a home. It's the secret weapon of the church. Now, now Herod, now Herod was about to bring him out and on that very night, let's go inside the prison. Peter, about to be killed. James has been beheaded. That night, Peter, 
was sleeping between the soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. Time out. I'm expecting to hear now Herod was about to bring him out, and Peter was up all night worrying. What's he going to do? How's he going to get out? I mean, what are we going to do? Peter's doing what? He's shot. He's got to get some sleep, guys. Peter's like, hey, you guys going to stay up? All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crash if it's all right with you. Can I use your shoulder? You're sleeping? Made me think, what, why? How could Peter sleep? I mean, I get your faith, Peter, but sleeping? I mean, I can barely sleep when I have a sermon the next morning. You're going to be beheaded and you're out cold. Two things. Either God said, hey, go to sleep. I got a miracle I'm about to do, which is extremely possible and most likely. And second, Peter might recall, I was told by Jesus I'm living to old age. Remember when Jesus told him that? Called him to the shore? Peter came running to him. Jesus had a coal fire out for him. And he's like, Peter, this is how it's gonna go for you. In fact, Peter didn't even like his story. He goes, well, what about those guys? Hey, we're just talking about you, Peter. Peter's thinking, I'm indestructible. So I'm gonna get some sleep if it's all right with you guys. And he goes to sleep, but watch this. this. This strikes me. He's all chained up to these guys, right? He's all chained up to each one of these guys. But then, Scripture tells me there's sentries at the door. Now, now, let me give you a little information about that. Sentries, such powerful soldiers and such accountable soldiers that you understand something. If a sentry failed in his post, he was given the same sentence that whatever the sentence for the prisoner would be given. So, if the prisoner's sentence was death, if he lost that prisoner, that sentry or the sentries at the door, that means they die. These guys have a little bit of a vested interest in whether Peter stays in that prison. It's as if Luke is saying, you can't get more hopeless than this situation. And behold, whenever you hear behold, look out. An angel of the Lord stood next to Peter and a light shone in the cell. And we love angels. If you, if you followed it back a few years ago, we did a series called Through Cloven Skies and we did a study on angelology. And one of the things we've remarked about angels is whenever they appear among humans, they're loud. They surprise people, and they like to talk loud. A special angel, Gabriel, spoke in a loud voice, okay? They just kind of startle people, okay? Well, well, this angel shows up and hits Peter. Boom! Shucks Peter on the side. He woke up and said, get up, quickly. And the chains, chains fell off his hands. And the angel took a key. And the angel said, oh, these chains, I'll break them. No, the chains just fell off. You understand with God, no human chain can ever stop him. If God's got a plan, there is no human chain that can thwart it. If God has a plan, there is no human chain bondage that he can't break through. They fell off his hands. Look, look what happens. And, and, so, and so the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. Peter's going, okay, all right, okay. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap up your cloak and around you and follow me. All right, okay, where are we going? Okay, he gets up and then he continues and he says this. And he went out and he followed him and he did not know what was being done by the angel, whether it was real, but thought, maybe I'm seeing a vision. I remember last week or two weeks ago, he saw blankets coming down with animals in it. Peter's going, maybe, maybe I'm just seeing a vision. He's walking, and, and scripture continues to say, and when they had passed by the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. And, and, and look, this is the first reference to automated doors in scripture. You see that? 
it opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and they went along one street and immediately the angel left him. I mean, how, how, what? Peter's like, what? He's putting on his clothes. Okay, okay, all right, this way. He's walking by the sentry. You guys are good with this. All right, okay. He's walk, he goes out, doors open. Whoa, that was sweet, right? We, every time you walk through Giant, I want you to think of Peter now. <laughs> I mean, but, but who knows how long this is gonna last? Kids, you ever play Mario Kart? Or should I say dads and moms? Ever play Mar Super Mario where you get that like invincibility? Din, 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 din. It stresses you all out, like hurry up! I usually run into lava whenever I get that. Dun, 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 dun. And, and, and how long is this gonna go until they see me again? So he gets on the move, he gets on the move and he goes over to a house where he knows they're praying and, 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 and he gets this idea of coming to himself. And so when Peter comes to himself, he says, now, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and he rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. He, he did it. He rescued me with an angel. Oh, man. If you grew up in our youth ministry here at church, you heard Pastor Chris tell a few angel stories. I collect them. I remember one specifically. I, I had a chance to work at, um, I think it was called Water Street Mission in Lancaster when I was at college there. And uh, one of the guys told this story about God's angelic protection of us and um, it was a really incredible story of a young lady. Now, now, she knew the rules of the rec center that they used to do their ministry at. She knew at a certain time, get that place locked up, leave with the group to your cars. Don't walk by yourself. But like any young girl excited about ministry, she had an opportunity one day. There was a pool table at the rec center and a lot of the kids would gather around that. They'd talk about things and she was always looking for an avenue to share the gospel. And that day it was going pretty well and she had a chance to sit with a young girl and they talked about Christ. It was going well and she kind of let time get away from her. And then she realized, she forgot that one of the other employees said, I'm not feeling well, I'm gonna leave early today. And so as in her enthusiasm and all excitement, she realized she had stayed too long. And it was gonna grow dark very quickly and she knew within that area, there was a threat on young girls specifically of girls being abducted and very evil things being done to them. She knew she was in trouble. She knew she needed to be praying, but she quickly packed it up. Hey, we gotta get going. I have lost track of the time. That's great. We'll talk tomorrow, sweetheart. That was so fun talking to you about Jesus. Okay, she's packing up all this stuff and she gets it all packed up. And then, and then as she's about to leave, she thought, I'll go, I'll go out the front door, not the back door. That's a little smarter. She hears on the back door, just we know you're in there alone. You might as well open the door. We know you're in there alone. God, I need your protection. God, I need you. She thought, I'll go out the front door. She goes out the front door, and there they are. I guess a couple of them had come around the front, and they confront her, and they walk towards her, and they stop with huge eyes, and they look at her. She recounts the story, and they backed up, and they walked away. She stood there for a moment, walked to her car quickly, got in, left. Didn't really share the story with anybody, but couldn't be overtaken by the oddness of their behavior. What happened? Weeks go by in the story, and I can't give the exact account, but I was as captivated as maybe you are listening myself. 
tell me more. He said, into the rec center comes one of the guys that was in that group. Word got that he accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, and he was coming into the rec center, and he was shooting pool, and they never made eye contact. One of the other leaders was working with him. She knew the night. She could feel that he knew the night. She knew that there was a change in his life, but they never talked. Well, one time they finally intersected, and they had to have a conversation. He said, I know you know who I am. She goes, I do. She goes, I have a question. He said, yeah. He goes, she said, why did you guys leave me alone? He said, what do you mean? She goes, well, I was standing there. Why did you guys leave me alone? I mean, I was standing there. I knew I was by myself. You guys knew I was by myself. Yeah, we did. And then we opened the door, and there were two guys standing there with you. And we're like, we're out of here. They were massive. You know, Scripture says, you never know when an angel visits us unawares. You don't know. Scripture says you don't know when they arrive. You don't know who they are. <laughs> we went into this with angelology when we went through that series. I encourage you if you want to know more. But angels, we don't know exactly how they interact with mankind. But in Scripture, we see how they interact. And they're very apparent. But even now, it's sometimes unawares. I'll tell you what. Peter came to the realization, I have been visited by an angel. That was not a dream. And when he realized this, he thought, I'll go to the house where they're praying. And so he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. In Luke and style, here he's at it again. He's telling you about this guy, Mark, who's going to become a prominent figure in the rest of his book. And there were many gathered together. And what were they doing? They were praying. The church is corporately praying. They're praying for Peter. He's been released, and he knocks at the door. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Oh, man, there was a little girl praying for Peter. You know that was probably rocking heaven's walls, right? And so she recognized Peter's voice, Scripture says. And in her joy, it's Peter. She didn't open the gate, but ran in. It's Peter. This guy's released from prison. He doesn't know how long it... Dun, 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 dun. They're going to see me. Open the door. And she leaves him. He's standing at the gate. And she comes back to the group. And she tells him, Peter's at the gate, and they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it's his angel. Now, some have taken that phrase and gone, there it is. We all have guardian angels. I told you. I've been saying this my whole life. I don't know if we want to go that far, but I can tell you this. The Jews of that time, in rabbinic teaching, if you study rabbinic teaching of that time in the, in the Mediterranean Near East, they taught that people had guardian angels. Now, we do know that angels do. Protect, guide, message, everything like that. We can see that through from the seraphim to the cherubim, through all the way up the ranks of principalities to the archangel Michael, to the messenger of scripture, Gabriel. We can see God working and how he uses angels in the lives of believers to guard and protect them at times. Do we have a specific one? Is there one just for Chris? Boy, I pray there's one. But we do know this. We know that angels play a role in that, yet we can't call on angels, okay? We can call on Jesus to leverage his angels for us, though, and it's a prayer that I've even taught our children. 
I mean, I believe in ADT, that's fine. And I don't mind having a security system, they're fine. But I like to set a post every night when dad goes to bed. Heavenly Father, around the perimeter of this house, Jesus, would you post your heavenly angels to protect our home? Would you guide and protect us and would you give us a reassurance that they're watching over us as we sleep? I've prayed that my whole life. My kids have picked up on it. I remember hearing my youngest at the age of five, dear Jesus God, put your holy angels around our house. It's so powerful to listen to that prayer. It's his angel. Well, somebody opened the door for Peter, but Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw it and they were amazed. And then he motioned to him to be silent. And he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James. This is the other James. And to the brothers. And, and he departed to another place, a secret weapon. And Peter is delivered. I love this story from Dr. Helen Rosevere, missionary to Zaire. She tells a story. A mother at our mission station died after giving birth to a baby prematurely. We tried to improvise in an incubator to keep the infant alive, but the only hot water bottle we had was beyond repair. Dr. Helen says, so we asked the children there, would you pray for the baby and for her sister? And these little kids start praying fervently. One of the girls responded, dear God, please send a hot water bottle today. She's not in this, let your will be done, God, over the next year. Today, she says this, tomorrow will be too late because then the baby will be dead. And dear Lord, you ready for this? Send a doll for the sister so she won't feel so lonely. Dr. Helen says, I'm telling you that afternoon a package arrived from England. The children watched eagerly. Dr. Helen's like, please, Lord, don't crush their faith. Much to their surprise, under some clothing was a hot water bottle. Immediately, the girl who prayed so earnestly dug into the box. If God sent that, he sent the doll. And she was right. Dr. Helen says she actually found out that five months earlier, a ladies' Bible study was praying together how they can encourage Dr. Helen and her ministry, and they decided to put that package together. What do you think the faith of a child is like? I told you, I look at childlike faith. I, I, I've, I've heard my kids pray when they're, especially when they're little, and it's so pure, it's so humble, it's so honest. It's so bold, and it's so expectantly. And you say, yeah, I wish I still had that, but I've lived life too long. Well, let me tell you somebody, there's someone who lived life that had nails driven into his hands, that was spit in his face by centurions and soldiers, that was whipped to the point where bones were exposed in his back. And he says, that's actually the kind of faith I'm looking for. I'm not looking for your adult-like faith where you think you can figure me out. I'm not looking for your adult life faith that's found in a professor's classroom. I'm looking for childlike faith. His disciples came to him and said, who will be the greatest? Who will be the greatest? And Jesus says, you want to talk about that? You want to talk about what I'm looking for? He says this, 
At that time when the Jesus disciples came, he said, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him, what? A child. He said, bring a child in here. I need an illustration. He brings in a little boy, it seems, and he put him in the midst of them and he said, truly, that's the double amen. That's the double amen, church. That means I will verify and stand as a witness to this. I say to you, unless you turn and become like a children, you will never inherit the kingdom of God. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I'm looking for childlike faith. I'm not looking for this adult, I figured Jesus out, faith. I'm looking for God. I need shoes. I'm looking for that kind of faith. And I'll align my will, and I'll align your will, but I'm looking for you to come to me in that childlike faith. But please, church, please don't confuse childlike faith with childish faith. Don't confuse the two. Childish faith and immature faith, you know what it says? Faith will help me always explain what God is doing. That's a childish faith. A childlike faith is a mature faith that says faith will help us trust God even when we don't understand what he's doing. Childish faith says, good Christians are always strong. A childlike faith says, strength comes when we admit our weakness. A childish faith, a childish faith says, good Christians don't have disappointment or pain. This is terrible, the lot I've been given. A childlike faith says, God uses my pain and disappointment to make me more like Jesus Christ. A childish faith says things like, God helps those who help themselves. A childlike faith says, God helps those who surrender themselves in humility. A childish faith says things like, the closer I get to God, the more perfect I will become. A mature faith says, the closer we get to God, the more we become aware of how sinful we are. A childish faith they go to church and go, I want to get some friendships, I want to get comforted, and I better get something out of it. Give. I want to get something. You better perform. A childlike faith walks into church and says, I want to serve others. I want to give comfort, and I want to use the gifts I've been given because I'm part of the body of Christ, and God's placed me in here for a reason. And a childish faith says, God wants me to be happy. I can't tell you how much this is repeated in counseling centers. Doesn't God want me to be happy? Happiness is great. And I, when you smile, Jesus smiles. But he's more concerned with making you holy than making you happy. He wants you to be like Christ. And sometimes that means going through difficulty. And that's why the adult-like faith that doesn't say childlike turns into that. And all of a sudden, the prayers totally change. And instead of honesty, you go, I don't know if I want to share that with God. And instead of boldness, you say, I don't even know if God wants to listen to me. And God says, I'm looking for that childlike faith that wants to see chains get broken, that people get released, that prays fervently to me, expecting me to deliver. Because when day came, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers. Where's Peter for, for what happened? He's gone. He's gone. Where is he? How are you gonna be, we're going to die. And then after Herod searched him and did not find for him, he examined the sentries and he'd ordered that they be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent some time there. Oh, this Herod. 
killing everybody, now even the centuries. I mean, God, what are you gonna do? Well, well just in case you're, you're not convinced there's a uh, vengeance is mine, Scripture says, now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food, and on an appointed day, Herod put all his royal robes on, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. Any of my Old Testament Bible scholars remember when Nebuchadnezzar walked out on top of his kingdom and looked over Babylon? Remember what happened next? Yeah, God smite him dead. He's got his royal robe on. He's looking good. He gives this oration, and the people start shouting, this is the voice of a God, not a man. This is the voice of a God, not a man. And immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down. Now, you know how my mind works. I'm thinking, is it the same angel that freed Peter from the prison? He's like, can I do this one too? That's in Second Opinions 3, so just leave that out. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give the glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But like every chapter, Luke is going to give us a progress report. What happened to the church? With all this persecution, what happened? What happened to the church? But the word of the Lord continued to spread and, I love this word, flourish. Like a rose. Flourished. You know what the word Rhoda means? You know what the name Rhoda means? The little girl who answered the gate and then ran from Peter, her name means Rosebush. I gotta believe. Little girls, I gotta believe. Your prayers, keep them coming. Keep them coming. You don't think you could pray your dad out of his struggle, little girls? You don't think you could pray? Mom gets that comfort she needs when you see her crying and you're up in your room with your journal and your awesome little verses. And when those punks come along and tell you, don't believe that garbage, little girls, you stay tough and you just keep reading. I got a little girl and she's an inspiration to our family. So to all those little girls out there, you stay on your knees and keep coming. Let the Rodas and let the Sylvias be your pioneer to say, I got a secret weapon on my family, it's prayer. And guess what? You'll join the Apostle Paul when he says, we need fervent prayer. We don't need, hey, I'll be praying for you, sweet. That's good Christian talk. We need prayer warriors. He, he said to the church in Colossians, from the day we have heard, we have not ceased praying for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual understanding. What if you answer people like that? Hey, could you pray for me? I'm gonna pray that you are filled with the knowledge of his will and all understanding. Oh man, thanks. Whoa, you're gonna really actually bang on the door of heaven. Yeah, I'll bang on the door. You want me to pray fervently? I'll bang on the door for you. He, he continues, he says this, so as to walk where we're worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And then he continues and he says this, giving thanks to the Father, we expect him to deliver, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. I just read that text and in my journal, I wrote down six things I see intercessory prayer is. Six things. It's not, hey, I'll be praying for you. It's fortifying. I'm gonna pray for your strength. I'm gonna fortify you. Strengthened with all might. It's informed. It's not, hey, there's nothing wrong with this. Please don't, I'm not being judgmental of this. Like, I kind of have a secret prayer. No, no, this isn't secret. You need to get people around you go, I'm gonna tell you what I need you to pray for. 
I need you to pray for my son for these three things. This isn't like, hey, we have an unspoken. This is, I need these three things. I mean, this is, we are about to lock in kind of prayer. Since the day we heard of it, okay, is that the issue? That's the issue. We're on it. It's targeted that you may walk worthy, bear fruit, and know God. It's not like, hey, God, I just want to lift them up. There's nothing wrong with that. Please, I'm not beating up on that. But fervent prayer is locked in, pounding on the door of heaven for people, okay? And it's steadfast. We do not cease. We're not going to quit. God, I'm sorry. We're coming the entire year. And if we don't get it, you keep aligning us, and we'll keep staying humble, but we're going to keep coming. It's not ceasing. It's infusing. You filled with the knowledge of his will. Infusing prayer. Intercessory prayer is, I'm going to pray ahead of time that you do work. I'm going to tell you something that pastoral staff will do for one another at times when we know we have to go talk to somebody about a difficult subject. We'll actually recruit prayer as a team. Hey, I need you to just pray that their heart will be softened to this message. Would you guys just pray that I would have the right words to kind of just speak and guide them? Would you pray that they're receptive and that God's already working on their hearts? So before I meet with them tomorrow, 10 o'clock, would you just be praying? And it goes through our seven texts. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, the meeting happens. I can't tell you how many times this story's come back. You're not gonna believe this. I walk into the room and they're like, you know what? God's already been kind of leading me to kind of think this way. Intercessory prayer is infusing. It gets ahead of the problem. College students, let me lower your stress level. Before you have a job interview, send God into the office first. God, get in there. Give me some work. Help me to know what to say and what to do. You wanna really get it? Have three or four people doing some intercessory prayer for you. Bang on the doors of heaven. You'll watch God work, and it's thankful, giving thanks to the Father. And so I try to think of these stupid, corny acronyms so you guys remember stuff, like Rabata. So I'm looking through this, and I see something close to Fitbit. Have you ever seen a Fitbit? You put them on your hands. It tells you how many steps you're walking. Some of you are wearing them right now. Don't, get, don't feel weird. It's cool. Thank you for doing it this morning. You knew I was going to preach on it. Fitbit, okay, but, but it, it tracks. It's, it's fitness interval training, right? It's an interval training. It's you come to it often. That's what it's for, right? Intercessory prayer is interval prayer. It's coming often. It's strategic. It's marked. And so I, I just broke it down so we could try to remember the words. And I'm calling intercessory prayer. It's a fit sit. This isn't like, hey, I'll be praying for you. This is, I'm gonna take my coat off at this time and we are gonna get you fit, all right? So just bring them back up and this is my point. Intercessory prayer, get a group of people together fortifying that right now they are given. We're gonna pray for this person that they'll be given this. It's informed. Since the day we heard this is happening to my sister's aunt or whatever, we're in. We're gonna pray for it. It's targeted that they might, one, two, three, you put together an email chain of three or four of your closest friends that you can trust with this prayer request, and you guys dig in hard, okay? It's steadfast. We ain't going anywhere. This isn't going to be, hey, we prayed Friday. We're going all year if we have to. I'll keep sending the email updates, okay? It's steadfast. It's infusing, okay? God, that you'll do this for them. Get to work for them, and it's thankful. We know that, and you'll watch God align that situation, and you'll see God work in mighty ways, and you will be shocked how many chains get broken because the power of a secret weapon called intercessory prayer. Pioneers. I showed you all of them. 
There's something I noticed about all of them that I want to finish today with. Their secret weapon, if you will. From Jim Elliott to Fanny Crosby, Billy Graham, George Muller, D.L. Moody, William Carey, Corey Ten Boom, I noticed some common characteristics. But I'll sum it up under this umbrella. They all maintained a childlike faith into adulthood. They all maintained it. And because of that, they had a very high view of God. And their view of God was filtered through all their activity. And these five key characteristics came up in all of them. They had their faith in a good God. They did not have a mean God. They didn't have a bad God. They all had a good, loving God, and they loved him. There are people who know about God. There are people who love God. These pioneers loved God. It's like a secret weapon. David loved God, scripture says. They had faith in a sovereign God, which means he's in control of all things. They humbly surrendered to him. Not my will, but yours be done. It informed their prayer life and their activity. God's in control of what's going on with me. Whether the circumstances are good or bad, I can trust him. They had faith in a personal God. They did not just believe in some God that was the God of this whole church, but they believed that Jesus was their God. They spoke openly with him like a child does, very openly. Asking him things that many of you or many of us would find insignificant. They had faith in a powerful God. They came boldly to the throne of grace. They didn't tiptoe in. They said, God, we need a hot water bottle today. And if God didn't deliver it, they went, okay, he's in control. He didn't want that to happen. Next prayer. That's that childlike faith. They had faith in the delivering God. And they waited expectantly for him. Scripture says, let the man who, doesn't, who prays without believing expect nothing from God. The prayer of the believer, believing prayer, is the ones that get answered. And these secret weapons filtered everything. Filtered everything. And so they would continue to come to God and pray. So I want to ask you, what chain do you know about? And is it time maybe God's asking you to put together a little bit of an intercessory prayer team and dig in for a fit sit? This whole Pioneer series, we've been leveraging these, these people that have shown faith, and all of them had their own weaknesses. All of them had a breaking point, and God used them mightily. My prayer for you, as we move forward this week, is to ask God and ask yourself, is there anything I'm doing right now that requires any kind of faith? Am I willing to ask God to put me through something that will grow my faith? Do I trust him that much? How many of us have fallen in love with the God of comfort and comfort got messed with this year and you got exposed a little bit? How can God grow your faith this year? It's like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it comes. So God, would you put me in something that's gonna demand a lot of prayer, a lot of trust, and a lot of faith? And in doing so, you'll become a pioneer. Hey, after Easter, we're gonna dig back into Acts and look into our second part of our series, Sojourners, 
okay? And we'll be talking about passing through and what that means in our spiritual life. I pray you join us, and I pray you also enjoy our Easter celebrations as we do those over the next few weeks. Heavenly Father, thank you for our Pioneer Series. I pray it really blessed our church family and all those who are tuning in. I pray it's just been an encouragement to them. Say, Lord, bring back that childlike faith. I've kind of I've let it slip. And I believe there's nothing wrong for any of the children of God out there going, Lord, I gotta ask you to restore it a little bit. I, I, my, my trust in you needs to be restored. God, sharpen me up. And I pray they go immediately to your word. Lord, I pray, Lord, maybe, maybe my love for others has to be restored a little bit. Lord, I, I pray my prayer life maybe needs to be restored a little bit. Maybe there's some people that have been some pretty entangled down by sin and difficulty. Lord, we need you to break those chains. But we know you can. And so, Lord, I pray that this Pioneer Series will inspire people to take steps of faith and restore that childlike faith they once had and maybe even leverage it this week. We'll pray this in your name. Amen.